When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Good afternoon and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. My name is Andreas Steno and I look forward to send to you live hot on the heels of the FOMC meeting this Wednesday, the 1st of February. And I'm pleased to be joined by a friend of mine, but also a great Fed watcher this afternoon to unpack all of the action around this Fed meeting. Darius Dale, the founder of 42 Macro, great to see you again. Hey, Andreas, man, it's great to be back. Great to be back with the Real Vision gang. Thanks for having me. Darius, we're going to ask the question today whether the Fed will end up reviving animal spirits on the back of this Fed meeting. Jay Powell got the opportunity to sort of hammer back on risk-taking, but he didn't really take it, did he? No, not at all. I mean, look, he, 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 <laughs> he basically cited his own buy-side experience and distancing the Fed from the market response and the easing of financial conditions that we've seen uh, in recent weeks. And, and so ultimately, the market took that, uh, among other things, as a positive sign that this is a Fed that is increasingly less likely to stand in their way of an unbridled bull market. Now, obviously, this is unlikely to be an unbridled bull market, but we're not at the point in the process, in our opinion, uh, where we need to see these gains uh, really start to consolidate in a meaningful way and or reverse. Hmm. There is. If we look at the... Um press release first. Uh, I noted a couple of things from the press release today um, that sort of contrast the message given just last year. First of all, the Fed now talks openly about the extent of rate hikes instead of the pace of rate hikes. What do you make of that change of the wording? Yeah, well, I think it's it's very much in line with where they were at the end of last year, which is trying to shift the market's focus from the pace um, and to the market's focus on the terminal rate. And more importantly, I would argue at this particular juncture, uh, the duration with which the Fed is likely to remain in restrictive uh, policy. Uh, I'd also cite that he, he confirmed it, that, that the Fed, this is an FOMC that does not yet believe the Fed has achieved its restrictive policy. So um, in, in, in terms of the actual outcome of the Fed meeting, uh, this isn't a hawkish meeting. Uh, it's very much in line with the hawkish pivot we discussed last time I was on the show that we observed in the month of December. You may recall that they upgraded their um, their, their their evidentiary standard with respect to their reaction function from clearly uh, clear convincing evidence to substantially more evidence, and we saw that on display here. The Fed, uh, Jay Powell, effectively wrote off all the disinflation and, and slowing growth data that we've just observed in the last month, particularly in the month of December. We had some pretty nasty prints on growth and inflation in December. And so that we've seen now, this is the first meeting where we've really seen that substantially more evidence standard uh, really kind of take hold and some of the commentary around that. So I, I think this meeting is very much in line with where the Fed has been 
um, at least going back to December 5th, and where the Fed's likely to be for the remainder of the year. Now, how do we play that in asset market terms, obviously, is, is the rub. And so uh, we have some thoughts on that as well. If we look at the market reaction today, we have bond yields trading down even in the very front end of the curve. We have equities partying on the back of it and a very weak US dollar after this Fed meeting. It seems as if everyone and their mothers expected Jay Powell to push back on the risk taking. So that's why we see this reaction. What do you make of it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So clearly there was an expectation in the marketplace that, you know, you saw this in the buildup of SKU. This is something we actually called out uh, in our morning, uh, really going back to Friday uh, in, in our lead off morning note. And uh, we reiterated that this morning we saw a substantial buildup of SKU and like SPY, Qs and other uh, instruments, uh, you know, that mirror U.S. equity performance. Uh, and that buildup of SKU was really in, in anticipation of the Fed really aggressively pushing back against this easing of financial conditions. And ultimately, uh, that got basically kicked on its head by the fact that the Powell did not, you know, really push back uh, aggressively against that. Um, it's our opinion, uh, you know, obviously we got, you know, zero DTE call buying, put buying, et cetera, continues to be a significant uh, portion of intraday um, uh, price action. So I wouldn't read too much into the market response on a single day basis. And I would zoom out and broad think about really going on under the hood which continues to be a, a dollar bear story that's been supportive of global assets, you know, really across the, across, across the spectrum. Darius, is this Fed meeting a green light to revive the animal spirits, to buy equities with an arm and a leg and maybe even monkey JPEGs again? <laughs> and no, no, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think what the markets are really latching on to, right, uh, is the fact that the Fed isn't aggressively pushing back uh, against this easing of financial conditions. Um, the Fed is going to ultimately cause financial conditions to tighten. Uh, and, and particularly, there's a couple things that I heard uh, in this in this press conference. One, we already talked about that in terms of, you know, the Fed considering that it still has a lot more work to do to get policy into a restrictive setting. Um, and then also, they, they really called out the fact that, hey, look, they're not just managing monetary policy uh, for this particular business cycle. We're not just trying to get inflation to 2% and then high five each other and everything's rosy. They have to make sure and, and have some degree of certainty that the, the underlying mean of the inflationary time series are not, you know, gravitating higher to let's say two and a half or 3%. So they, they there's, and from their perspective, there's still a lot of work to be done, which is why we continue to believe the Fed is likely to, 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 to hold, hold serve on its, on its forecast that they're unlikely to cut interest rates uh, in the back half of this year. Uh, and it may be the case that, you know, Kyle kind of let this slip because he was trying to avoid policy guidance, but he did cite uh, they have a couple of more rate hikes to go, which suggests that the May meeting might be live as well uh, in terms of getting to five and a quarter. So um, this is a Federal Reserve that is very much on path towards tightening financial conditions again. It just doesn't matter right now because there's a bunch of other stuff going on globally, namely the reopening of China, the associated stimulus, and ultimately the, um, the, 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 the currency market impact that that's having with respect to the ECB, the Bank of Japan, et cetera, that's weighing on the dollar and inflating asset prices. And nothing happened, nothing today uh, that Jay Powell said or the Fed said in their statement uh, is really kind of putting a, a pin in that story. Powell also reiterated the data dependency uh, in the decision-making from the Fed. He keeps reiterating that they will look at data ahead of the next meeting in March before they take a decision. So what are some of the key figures that you will watch ahead of that meeting in one and a half months from now? Yeah. So it's it's the labor market is clearly the, uh, the, the driver's seat. Going back to that December pivot uh, we highlighted uh, on the Fed, it was a hawkish pivot. This is a more hawkish Fed today than, uh, than we, we would have expected them to be prior to that December 
uh, uh, pivot. Because again, we've seen data break down pretty substantially uh, in the recent months. Uh, but going in terms of the next uh, FOMC meeting, I believe that's on March 22nd. Uh, Gabrielle, if you put up chart four, um, you know, we obviously got this data today with respect to the jobs time series and the employment cost index time series yesterday. Uh, but the tightness of the labor market, it, you know, it continues to, to bug the Fed. It continues to bug uh, this Jay Powell Fed, which is very concerned about his legacy. Don't forget the guy is almost 70 years old. You know, he's not going to want to die being the guy who let the inflation genie out of the bottle. Um, so it's very clear that he's managing not just again for this business cycle, but for subsequent business cycles. So uh, what I'm showing in this chart here uh, is total job openings divided by total unemployed workers that ticked up to 1.9 again. You know, it's obviously very elevated relative to its structural mean. Uh, you have the quits rate in the middle panel, private sector quits rate uh, down at 2.9%, still about 50 basis points elevated relative to its pre-COVID trend. And then you have the uh, employment cost index on a quarter over quarter uh, SAR basis at 3.9%. That's a 150 basis points north of its pre-COVID trend. So these indicators and other indicators of the labor market, um, you know, namely jobless claims, um, you know, continue to suggest that there's a, there's a supply and demand uh, imbalance for labor. Now, there are other indications of the labor market. Gabrielle, if you show up chart one, that would seem to suggest that this is a Fed uh, that is probably likely overdoing, overcooking the goose. Um, in this chart here where we show um, the part, this is um, personal income, this is nominal compensation of, of, of employees. Uh, this is you know the, from the BEA, the PCE report. Uh, what we're showing here in this chart in the red bars are the three month annualized rates of change of that metric. The blue line is the year over year and the black line is the, uh, the, the, the three month T-bill as a proxy for the policy rate. Um, you know, the black dotted lines in this chart denote is when this indicator on a three month annualized rate of change basis falls below the policy rate. And as you can see, going back to business cycles all the way to the late 1950s, whenever that black line, that black dotted line, that vertical line shows up, it's typically in a red bar or certainly uh, ahead of a red bar. And so now I think we have to start asking a serious question as amongst ourselves as investors is, is the U.S. economy already in recession? And if the answer to that question is yes, then this is a Federal Reserve that is way overcooking the goose because we know monetary policy works with long and variable lags. That means if we are anywhere near a recession, which by the way, the, the longest lag with respect to that, that inversion between the nominal employee compensation on a three month annualized basis and the policy rate to recession is six months. And so this is either saying we're either more likely in recession or gonna be a recession by middle of this year. And if that's the case, given the long and variable lags of monetary policy, this is a Fed that should be easing right now. Um, and again, I don't think it's appropriate to make a, a call on a recession based on one month of data, but we have a pretty robust set of indicators, you know, provided by the MBER to give us a sense of what, you know, where we are in the business cycle. And that's on slide two, uh, Gabrielle, if you could throw up that chart, you know, we would just take a collection of the MBR's uh, business cycle dating, uh, 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 of, you know, instruments. And if you look at non-farm payrolls and, 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 and total employment uh, from the household and payroll survey, they're still growing on a three-month annualized basis. But when you look at average weekly, aggregate weekly hours, contracting at minus 0.4% in the most recent month, industrial production contracting at minus 5.3% three-month annualized in the most recent month, and then uh, core retail sales contracting at minus 2.1% in the most recent month, uh, we're starting to have a problem here. Now, again, we're seeing leading indicators, particularly for the month of January, You know, some of the regional Fed surveys uh, really improved some of the consumer confidence measures. You know, It's pretty mixed. But it's suggesting that we're not falling off a cliff economically. So again, I wouldn't write home uh, for one month of data. But there are a lot of data points that are starting to suggest that hey, the Fed probably should back off here. And the mere fact that they're not backing off sets us up for some pretty uh, interesting, uh, to say the least, uh, price action later this year. It certainly does. 
We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. I uh, want to play a soundbite for you in relation to this discussion on whether the U.S. economy is already in a recession. I hosted Danielle DiMartino Booth, a former Fed insider, just earlier this week ahead of the uh, Fed meeting. And she's of the view that the economy is already in a recession. So let's listen to her arguments and get back to that discussion. I think what people don't understand, if you listen to the president of the National um, Bureau of Economic Research, which for half a century has scored recessions in the United States, um, they emphasize that a technical recession is not a recession as they define it. Um, they also, uh, in August of last year, they pointed to the example of July of 1953 when the unemployment rate was 2.2%. And yet that is when they said recession began, even with the unemployment rate as low as it was. By December of 1953, the unemployment rate had risen to 3.6%. But the reason that the president of the MBER pointed out that episode, I think was a warning of sorts to say, we could say that we're in recession, even though Federal Reserve officials insist that until we get verification from the employment data. We cannot be in recession. The NBER is saying, no, that's not the case historically. Historically, we can call recession before, and it goes back to industrial production, um, real income, net of government transfers, uh, real personal consumption expenditures, and employment. Those are the four major um, barometers that they test to score recession, the largest of which is private demand, right? The, the, the aggregate of consumption in the United States, 70% of U.S. GDP, and business investment. You can watch the entire interview with Danielle DiMartino Booth on the Real Vision platform already today. It aired earlier this week ahead of the Fed meeting. But back to you, Darius. Uh, Danielle's point is that you cannot use the unemployment rate being at low levels to say and state that we are not in a recession as of now. What do you make of the discussion on the unemployment rate relative to the timing of a recession? Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, you know, one, you should never use any one indicator to confirm something as big as a recession call. I mean, these are massive, you know, sort of, you know, very, very non-stationary events uh, that tend to happen to the economy. So uh, I think it's always dangerous to anchor on one data point. This is why, you know, we believe in this mosaic theory around, you know, formulating our investment thesis and understanding the tales associated with that. I think it's a bigger point to make just given the, with respect to whether or not the economy is in recession, I think is, is almost moot. Um, I, I think it's 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 moot. It's not moot in the context of we have to have the markets price that in. Uh, I've been banging the table for, for months now and saying that, that we have not priced in a recession. We have not even become close to pricing in a recession, whether you look at financial conditions, indices, credit spreads, uh, you know, relative um, sector and style factor dispersion, et cetera, et cetera. So when, if and when we the markets you know, realize we are in recession, it's likely to be an issue uh, given the Fed's reaction function. And on that point, 
Um, you know, if you look, go back and look at the December uh, dot plot, which in my opinion, the Fed, Jay Powell's lack of defending that December dot plot, I didn't say he didn't necessarily, you know, kind of, you know, say it was, was moot, but he also didn't really strongly defend it. And that's when the market really took off, in my opinion. Um, you know, the, you know, go back to that December dot plot, you know, they're forecasting the unemployment rate, the headline unemployment rate U3 to end 2023 at 4.6, which would be 110 basis point um, positive delta relative to where it ended 2022 at 3.5%. Well, if you go back and look at the history of this time series since the late 1940s, we've never seen 110 basis point delta in the U3 rate on a one-year, you know, on a one-year interval that didn't coincide with the recession. And so, you know, again, you know, I'm a pretty smart guy, but I certainly am not 400 PhD economists, which the Fed has. I'm pretty sure one of them could have figured this out <laughs> by now. And so it's my opinion that, you know, they're probably implicitly forecasting something to them that looks like a mild recession. And until they start to see a mild recession develop, their their reaction function is not going to change. They're going to stick with it, both in terms of the upside and rates getting to their, their preferred terminal rate, which may now be 5.25%, uh, just judging by the uh, what Powell slip, let slip in the, in, the, in the Q&A section. But also, I think just as importantly, is the fact that they're probably going to be sitting on their hands when and as the recession is developing steam to the downside. One final point on this whole recession topic, if we are in fact in or very close to all agree, so we'll agree there's probably going to be a recession at some point in 2023. We're of the view that it's probably a second half event, but uh, recent data would suggest that it may be pulled forward. Um, you know, I don't think we need to make that call. The call we need to make as investors is how our market's going to respond to it. And it's our belief that, you know, if this all this process, you know, once you get towards the middle of the year, growth impulse side, you're going to be faced with a situation where net liquidity is probably going to be inflecting at a, at a really negative rate. Uh, at the same time, the global growth, growth impulse is probably inflecting at a really negative rate into a U.S. recession in which the Fed is not going to supply the market with liquidity. It's not going to cut rates. It's not going to do QE. And it could sit on its hands for an extended period of time as the recessionary process develops steam to the downside, which ultimately, by the way, will make whatever recession we're walking into in the U.S. economy more than a mild recession. Everyone's got this mild recession. You know, that's one of the most consensus things on Wall Street right now. Everyone's got the recession call, but it's all, it's mild, it's mild, it's mild. If we're anywhere close to a recession, it will not be mild because the Fed should have been cutting rates yesterday to make sure that it was mild. The fact that they're probably guaranteed that they're going to stay in way too restrictive territory for way too long and ultimately make whatever recession we step into worse. So ultimately, we, we, we do see a lot of volatility developing in the second half of the year. But for right now, it's it's a dollar bear story. And that dollar bear story is very bullish for, for pretty much every asset. It's transitory Goldilocks, baby. <laughs> it is. Uh, and I want to get back to the global ramifications of such a dollar bear story in just a second. But we actually received a pretty interesting set of data just a few hours ahead of the Fed meeting today from the ISM Institute on the um, nature and health of the manufacturing sector. The ISM manufacturing was out um, surprising a tad to the downside, but I find the details of the survey interesting, Darius. So let's unpack them. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, clearly the manuf ISM manufacturing, what it's telling you is that the, the goods economy is in recession and it has been in recession for quite a while right um if you look at um you know does it matter probably not certainly not as much as it used to i mean if you look at the u.s economy i want to say only 18 percent of total gdp is from the manufacturing sector and 14 percent of total employment so you need a real bomb to go off in the goods sector for it to really you know spill over into on the broader economy and then really drag down 
uh, drag down recessions, particularly in the context of real income growth reaccelerating, right? You know, one of the, one of the good things about this immaculate disinflation, which is happening, you know, might not, you know, continue, but it certainly has happened thus far, is a reflation of real income growth. And if you look at personal income, excluding transfer receipts, which uh, Danielle cited in our in our, in our discussion, um, that it really accelerated to 2% three-month annualized basis, the highest number we've seen in a while. And so could you see consumer spending kind of like stave off, you know, what is ultimately likely to be a recessionary process once the job loss kicks in? Sure, that could that could that could support the US economy for a while. But you know, I think all eyes on the on the jobs report on Friday and then the ISM services as well. Will we get another bomb in the ISM services or was that a one-off? If that wasn't a one-off, then again, I think you got to continue to ratchet your recession probabilities higher in terms of near-term outlook. Yeah. Totally agree. So um, we'll get back to that ISM services report next week. Yeah. Um, Darius, in terms of the global ramifications of this Fed meeting, uh, I find the current trend in the US dollar extremely interesting to watch. Um, as you already noted, the weakening trend in the US dollar is of importance to global asset allocation. And we have a couple of interesting um, central bank meetings coming up tomorrow from Europe as well. Bank of England and the European Central Bank take stage tomorrow. Do you expect them to continue hiking and um, sort of resemble the message given by the Fed today? Yeah, absolutely. And and I got to tip my hat to you, my friend. You were the way out in front of this more than anyone I know, this recovery in the European economy. Um, you, you go on beside your work on the, on, the, on the gas energy crisis in Europe, and the ultimately the ramifications was that, you know, Europe is probably not going to go in recession. And now that they're not going in recession, we're actually seeing improving dynamics because, you know, you do have a lot of fiscal stimulus out there um, that is still supporting European economic growth for the time being. And so, you know, we continue to see that um, with the European PMIs recovering off, I want to say their October lows uh, this morning with the, the data points. And that's very supportive of this dollar bear thesis. I mean, if you go, uh, Gabrielle, put up slide six um, that I sent you where we show somewhat of a complicated chart, but I'll, I'll take a second to explain it. Um, the spread in these chart in these charts on, on both panels uh, just shows the the one year uh, overnight index swap rate. That's a money market uh, rate. Um, uh, the overnight index swap rate less minus the ECB's main refinancing rate. So effectively a measure of how much tightening is priced in on a one and two year basis. Uh, and the first top panel is one year, second panels uh, two year. And then we subtract that measure to detract that measure for the Fed from that initial measure for the ECB so we can get a sense of the net tightening or easing between the central banks. And so what the, um, you know, what the top panel suggests is that the markets over the next year expect the ECB to hike by 166 basis points more than the Fed and 209 basis points over the next two years, inclusive of whatever they, the markets are anticipating for, for Fed policy changes. And so that's a pretty that's a pretty aggressive dynamic. Obviously, we're in no man's land uh, relative to the history of this time series, which goes back to 2006. Uh, but one thing that's been very supportive of that is this improvement in European growth, which started locally. Um, you know, the, the, the energy crisis got obviously in fear, but it's it's now layer on what's happening with respect got a much bigger impact on the European economy uh, than the U.S. economy. And so it's cementing and fermenting expectations amongst, you know, money market uh, rate traders and, and currency market participants uh, that the ECB is going to be able to follow through on that unequivocally hawkish guidance that we got out of Madame Lagarde in December. Um, and that's why you're seeing, you know, these, uh, these, these rates, these spreads, these differentials really kind of hockey stick. So that's been very supportive of a, weak of a weaker dollar. In so much that you know, I wouldn't necessarily say the bank. Uh, the, the 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 I think the BOE the BOE at this point is kind of along for the ride. 
But to me, I think what is equally as important uh, in the 2023 dollar story, at least in the first half of 2023, uh, is the sea change in Bank of Japan policy, which we show on slide five. Uh, Gabrielle, if you can put that chart up. Um, so, you know, the Japan, if you look at it from, if you go back and look at money market rates uh, in Japan, deciding OIS curve, overnight index swap rates, you know, they've finally really woken up in recent months. I mean, if you look at it on a kind of one year four basis, you know, the markets are effectively implying the BOJ hikes by 20 basis points. And if you look at it on a two year four basis, it's implying that the BOJ hikes by nearly 60 basis points. Now, the BOJ may or may not decide to do that. I think it depends on who ultimately comes in and replaces Kuroda for governor. Uh, right now, you have two front runners, which is um, the current deputy governor, uh, Masayoshi Yamamiya. Um, he's very much on board with you know, quant quantitative and qualitative easing. So we're probably not going to get a material sea change of Bank of Japan policy uh, if he becomes the, 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 the if, he, if he takes over for Kuroda. However, if you get um, Hiroshi Nakaso, uh, which is a former Bank of Japan de BOJ deputy governor, um, it's very likely that we see a sea change in, in BOJ policy, just given that you know this person has already identified ways in which the BOJ can you know kind of exit uh, QQE um, and kind of take a victory lap on that. So uh, I still think currency markets are going to you know really try to you know push that that narrative, push that theme uh, throughout the first part of this year. Uh, in so much that, you know, China reopening and stimulating its economy. Again, it's the world's second large economy. It's a very positive dynamic for the global growth impulse. And as we know, you know, go back to dollar smile theory. What makes the dollar go up? U.S. economy raging, booming like it was in, you know, kind of 2021. Or U.S. economy raging or, or, or global economy um, uh, ragingly bearish. Anything in between is, is dollar off, dollar sell down. Um, you know, and again, I think, you know, one thing you have to put up, uh, or sorry, uh, Gabriel, if you throw up slide seven, I think one final thing you have to consider is that, you know, the dollar has broken some pretty major technical levels. Um, you know, I think we were very fortuitous in, in booking our long dollar position, I think, at the big, very beginning of November. I think you're more lucky than good in that trade. But since then, we've seen the dollar break snap through its 50% Fibonacci retracement level from this recent bull run. And to me, that's a very important signal because, A, we know a few things. One, Currency markets are very autocorrelated. They tend to trend. Uh, and two, bear and bull markets tend not to correct past their 50% retracement level. So to me, I think that's a really significant signal uh, from a couple of weeks ago in the global currency market that this dollar bear move is really on. And ultimately, it could catalyze uh, some pretty significant um, you know, price appreciation for a lot of assets. Uh, one final thing I'll say before I shut up. You know, if you look at you know, the positioning across the buy side, it's, it continues to be very, very underweight. Uh, assets broadly, if you look at treasuries uh, on the long bond side, minus 14% net uh, speculative net length is a percent of total open interest. That's in the zero percentile on a trailing one year basis. You look at S&P minus 6% uh, non-commercial net length as a percent of open interest. That's a 14th percentile rating. NASDAQ minus 8%, that's also a zeroth percentile rating. So, you know, as long as this dollar bear theme has legs, there's going to be a lot of right tail risk and a lot of career risk for a lot of the buy side that is underweight and, and sort of sitting on the sidelines watching this uh, watching this, this price appreciation happen across global markets. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. I perfectly agree, Darius, and I'm personally also very happy that Eurodollar 
rebounded off levels just above 0.95 because I promised to open an OnlyFans account if Eurodollar broke 0.95 on the downside. And thankfully, <laughs> it just about uh, didn't make it. Um, but uh, nonetheless, um, Darius, I wanted to tie this all together with a couple of questions from the audience. We have a ton of them uh, on a night like this. And um, a couple of them relates to... Um, this theme of the weak dollar. Uh, we have a question from uh, one of our loyal members, Ralph, asking you for your take on commodity in the context of a weakening US dollar trend. Do you have any commodities that sort of stick out as either bullish or bearish um, inside of this particularly bullish trend that we see in commodities right now as a consequence of weaker dollar? Yeah, it's really, it's, I mean, the bullish trend in commodities has largely been concentrated uh, in the industrial metal space and, and most recently in the ag space. Uh, we have not seen energy, particularly crude oil, really wake up to that. Um, I think there's probably some technical dynamics associated with Russia and all that other stuff that I don't have time to research. Um, I'll take everyone's word for that. But I, I think at some point we're going to see uh, a recovery in, in energy prices. Um, you know, it's very unlikely you have a sustained bear run in the dollar, a sustained bullish breakout in, 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 in agricultural commodities and industrial metals, and, and crude oil is just like off the lunch, right? Uh, that's 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 very anomalous relative to uh, to, to the long term time series of these charts. So uh, I would expect at some point uh, energy to kind of recover. But for now, I don't think you need to force it by just just go buy an industrial metals basket. Go, go buy an ag basket. Mm. Uh, another question uh, that relates to the weakening of the U.S. dollar um, is around positioning. Um, we get the question, could positioning undo this dollar bear thesis? Um, do you? fear the current move towards a, a sort of bet on a weaker dollar, broadly speaking, among specs? Uh, no. Uh, what we found and what I found in my, in my analysis on positioning is that markets that have a yield, that have an interest rate, tend to be mean reverting. Um, and then markets that do not tend to have autocorrelation. Uh, they tend to trend more. So currency markets, that positioning dynamic tends to uh, be very supportive of uh, a further price appreciation. And we certainly see that. We observe that in our back test, for instance. You know, whenever the euro, you, you, the music isolating the euro, because that's obviously the biggest factor in the dollar, um, in the dollar move. You know, whenever the euro hits a plus two sigma uh, in terms of that net non-commercial net length uh, uh, reading uh, as a percent of total open interest, um, you typically have, you know, a 65% positive ratio with 100 basis points of, of outperformance over the next month. And that's basically reversed uh, by a 39% positive ratio with a minus 100 basis points of underperformance over the whenever you have a negative signal. So currency markets tend to, you know, to, 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 to push through to, to new trends, which is why I keep highlighting that that chart seven, that dollar chart. To me, it's one of the most important charts on all of global macro. And, and one thing I'll say, Andreas, and you appreciate this, you know, the markets have been uber focused on Fed, 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 U.S. inflation. But you and I both know from doing this for a really long time, that's that's not how global macro works. There's ECB, there's Bank of England, there's Bank of Japan, there's PBOC, there's all kinds of stuff going on in global macro. And I think a lot of investors who have been you know, myopically trained to focus on simple things like the Fed or this and that are going to find it very difficult to manage risk in 2023 because there's a lot more uh, cross currents. I've been calling them violent cross currents uh, that you have to understand and, and contextualize. Global macro is back with a vengeance. Um, the vengeance. The, fin <laughs> the final thing I wanted to pass on to you is a comment from uh, one of our members, JK. He 
asks me to tell you that uh, it's a nice shirt that you're wearing, Darius. Uh, and I'll reply to JK that I think that this shirt is the biggest recession indicator that we've seen today, even though I uh, said manufacturing <laughs> printed below 50 once again. Well, well I'm on the beach in Miami, so I'm going to go take a stroll uh, uh, with the shirt on. So probably with the shirt off, to be totally honest, it's 80 degrees here. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, uh, Darius. Uh, let's try and sum up on the uh, FOMC discussion. Um, the risk of the Federal Reserve overcooking the goose has actually increased a little bit lately, um, given the lackluster momentum and growth, um, paired with a continued reaction function favoring another couple of rate hikes, if we are to um, take Powell at face value today at least. So ultimately, this may end up in a bearish scenario, but for now, the weakening dollar trend is a signal to at least allocate into riskier assets outside of US shores. Is that a fair summary? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, again, it's, this is not an unbounded bull market by any stretch of the imagination because, again, you still have the, the left tail risk associated with the live recession, particularly a deepening earnings recession ahead of us. And don't forget, we got, uh, I think, meta earnings right now. Uh, you got Facebook, Amazon, and Google, or not Facebook, Amazon, Google, Apple, Amazon, and Google tomorrow. So, you know, you're going to get some negative data points along the way. But for now, what seems to be dominating, and again, this is why. You can't just focus on fundamentals. You have to understand, you know, what's happening with the market. You are sorry, what's happening with the economy, but you also need to understand what's happening with the markets. And 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 I think, you know, from all the best investors that I've uh, collaborated with over the years, they find a way to separate those two things and understand, you know, kind of how to weight those things at various intervals. And right now, it's the it's the it's the market dynamics and the and the, and the global growth story um, that's really driving asset markets right now. And I can't believe you and I have been talking for half an hour and haven't even talked about net liquidity. Um, and I'll just leave you with one final comment on this, which is, you know, we figured this out at second week of January and we made a pretty big call that, hey, look, net liquidity was going to start to trend higher, um, not, not gallop higher because we still have quantitative tightening. But, you know, the Danny Yellen is, is dumping T-bills onto the market. Treasury General counts somewhere around $500 billion now. And that thing could go to zero between now and let's call it J June when, the, when she's likely to run out of her extraordinary measures to stave off uh, breaching the debt ceiling. And so if that's the case, you know, you're going to have a, a positive tailwind to asset markets, um, um, you know, the, as a function of that net liquidity, which in my opinion is contributing to this weak dollar story. But I think it's the improvement in global growth that's the dominant driver there. But all that stuff inflects sometime around mid-year. And so I'm not saying asset markets have to rally until mid-year, but we know that the party will be over by mid-year. So you're probably going to want to get your, get your keys and get in your car and go home before that. Yeah. As soon as they sign a new debt ceiling deal, you got to run for the hills. Uh, but Darius, uh, I want to give you a hat tip for your contributions on net liquidity to the global macro community. Uh, 42 you, Macro man. has been Appreciate on top that. of um, the net liquidity trends for a while. And I urge everyone to go check uh, your work on liquidity out. It's, it's absolutely magnificent. Darius, once again, a great pleasure to host you on Real Vision Daily Briefing. I hope to see you back on the show again soon. And... Um, out there. Uh, thank you for watching. Thank you for all the questions. It's been another crazy day in global macro. And I can promise you that we are back again tomorrow with more. Mackie Lake will host the show with Mark Ritchie Jr. guesting the show. And if the ECB surprises, I may show up to give a few comments on that as well. See you tomorrow. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.